Welcome to Woke and Wired, a new conversation about expanded consciousness and entrepreneurship. Wow, we're on episode 13. This week's guest I am particularly excited about. He is my personal teacher, acupuncturist, mentor, and I am just so excited to be sharing his wisdom with you guys. So the day that this episode comes out, I am actually going to be in Mexico with Thomas, Thomas George, who's the guest on this show, celebrating my 30th birthday in Guadalajara at a resort doing some transformational work with a group of incredible people. And if you want to get a peek into what's going on, most likely I'll be sharing it on both Woke and Wired on Instagram and at Breakfast Criminals. So you can check in with me there. Most importantly, Thomas. So Thomas is a Qigong and Taiji practitioner, and he has been doing different consciousness awakening practices for the past 30 years. He's probably the closest to real life Dr. Strange of a human that I have ever met. He's a healer, an acupuncturist, a body worker, an herbalist, a truth teller, and a spirit whisperer. He has degrees in Chinese medicine from the Pacific College of Oriental Medicine, and he's also studied in mainland China. He has attended Harvard University's mind-body medicine program and spent a lot of time doing a lot of incredible things. He's based in New York City where he has his own Qigong school and his own acupuncture practice and healing practice. And I've been extremely lucky to do a nine-month yoga and Qigong training with Thomas and Kevin Courtney and assist Thomas and Kevin on a few retreats. And gosh, I'm just... Out of words, I'm excited to introduce him to you guys more than words can describe. And some of the things we're going to talk about are cultivating energy in both your physical and spiritual bodies, how to understand and read people, what a sweat lodge is. This is one of the activities we'll be doing on the transformational retreat that we're at right now. And this is recorded in August 2018, if you guys are curious. We also talk about the differences between Tai Chi, Qigong, and Tantra. If those words sound totally unfamiliar and you're like, what is this? That's fine. It's all just different waves and they're like energy practices. They're all cousins that have their own peculiarities and we are going to talk about it all. And I promise you, it's actually mind-blowing. So some of the other topics that we discussed are, of course, business and how Qigong can impact the success of your business, how to align your rates as a consultant or as an entrepreneur with your internal state, how to quickly hack and shift your energetic state in a moment of conflict and feeling anxious and stressed out. I love that one especially. Ways to connect more with nature, especially if you're someone who lives an urban life and doesn't get to see much of earth and trees and those types of things. And also the healing power of storytelling. touch on that in the end and Thomas is getting ready to lead some more retreats on that topic. That's about it my friends enjoy this podcast please 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 as always let me know what you think. I love it when you take screenshots of you listening to the podcast and tag me at wired on Instagram and I love when you leave me reviews on iTunes when you leave me a rating. It really really helps more people discover these ancient teachings that are interpreted into the language of modern world. And that's it. 
Kisses from Mexico. Love you guys. Thanks for being with me and enjoy. So Thomas, the first time we met, I had actually met Kevin Courtney, your business partner, your brother. Um, twin. Your twin at an event that he did at Kula Yoga here in New York. Anyone familiar with the New York yoga scene? And I just really resonated with his work and I came up to him and said, I want to be part of this, whatever it takes. And he said he's interested and we met up for a matcha latte. And then he said, kind of hinted at the fact that he's in, but it cannot be 100% until Thomas approves. And so then I had set up a meeting with you, Thomas, and I was here around the corner at Whole Foods, we met up at the cafe on the second floor. Again, we were drinking matcha latte, at least I was. <laughs> and I remember that you took a seat at the big table that was quite far away from me. And immediately I was like, does he just not like me at all? And then it kind of came up, I don't remember if it was that same conversation or later on, but you said that to tune into people's energies, there needs to be enough distance. And so that's when I was like, whoa, I got to figure out what this guy's about. <laughs> and so since then, I've done a nine-month Qigong and yoga training with you and Kevin. I've assisted you on retreats. I've come into your office here in Manhattan for acupuncture. And... Wow, so many things happening for you. So I'm just excited to catch up and talk about all things energy, consciousness, technology, entrepreneurship, and anything else that comes up. Wow, that's a lot of stuff. <laughs> cool, I'm all in, let's do it. So here's what I'd like to do. I'm gonna read your Instagram bio out loud, and then you're going to explain to me what it is that you actually do on a day-to-day -day basis. Okay. Healer, teacher, author, and the handle is at Thomas Droge, D-R-O-G-E. Healer, teacher, author, public figure dedicated to making the ancient diarist paths of Qigong spirit healing and internal alchemy real and accessible to all. Sounds pretty damn good. That sounds good. What does it mean, then? <sighs> what does it mean? Packed. How much time did you spend trying to pack all of that into one bio? I mean, I've written so many bios over the years. It's funny. I've been looking at them. and They used to be full of all these, like, Harvard University, Jiangxi College, China, like all the things I did and the places I went where I trained and all the things that made me legitimate. And now none of that's there. And they're just like, what do people need to know about what it is that I'm doing in the simplest way possible? Because I don't have much left to prove. So you think that saying that is simple? You kind of sound like Kevin right now. <laughs> <laughs> Healer, author, teacher. That's clear. That's pretty simple. Yeah. And then taking all things Taoist and making them accessible to all. So what are all things Taoist? If you were to translate it into the world of a 30-something entrepreneur in New York. Mm. Such a good question. I recently read that you can't technically call yourself a Taoist unless you've become an indoctrinated Taoist priest, and that there, there is no like hierarchy. If you're a Taoist priest, like mostly they're all Taoist, and then there are abbots and things like that. But to, to follow the Tao, to follow the Taoist way, is to look at nature and the rhythm and cycles of all things 
and see them inside of yourself and see how you're not inserted into the world, but that you are the world and you're not like having a walk in nature, but that you're part of it. So to bring that information of nature back into yourself is really, that's really what it's about. So like all the talk about earthing, all that basically is like the biohacking kind of world, which is really just going back to the roots of what we used to be. Yes. So how do you do that? Like when you've got work, you've got your Instagram account, you've got bills and family, how do you become part of nature? (laughs) You're never not part of nature. The problem isn't finding out how to become part of nature. It's about removing all the ways that you've tricked yourself into thinking you're not. So if you sleep when you're tired and you eat when you're hungry and you move when you feel stuck and you're quiet when you don't know which way to go, you've found your way back to nature. The teachings are simple. That's why we say easy is the hard way because it's easy. People are like, oh, just don't do all these things and do these few things. But then you can't follow that even though it's obvious. This is the same If you know that your emotions are like the wind, and you know that the wind changes in its speed and comes and goes, and sometimes it's intense and you have to shelter, and sometimes it's not, and you can just be out, you should be able to just live with your emotions and quietly observe them and have them be part of you instead of all the information we have around emotions that confuses everybody. So I recently discovered something that blew my mind, and it was that... Everything that I do in the morning and all my morning routines, you know, I've been, there's this expression in Russian, breaking my head. So I'm just going to say that. What is the breakfast kernel's morning routine? You know, I need to come up with something interesting and exciting and different and memorable. And I forgot to look at what I actually do every day. I was doing all this research, reading all the books of what other entrepreneurs do and best-selling authors. And then one day I was just like, okay, I do these seven steps every single day, no matter what I am. No matter how much time I have, I always do oil pulling. I always set an intention. I always make myself a latte. You know, there's like always these steps. They take different forms based on what's happening, but it's like my staple. So what that made clear to me is that some things that come so naturally to me and are such part of me and my routine and my life could really help people if I shared it. But I can't, don't even think of them as separate as me because I'm just, they're just so ingrained in me. So if you were to kind of take yourself outside your Taoist path shoes, what, are, what do you think are some of the things that you do every day to help you feel like you're part of the nature? I always get up and I make my bulletproof whatever it's going to be that day. And then... What's in it? So like right now it's collagen protein powder, flaxseed, coffee butter, sometimes MCT, sometimes not. That's my current... How much protein and flaxseed depends on the, how I'm feeling too, I guess. And then I sit down and I look out the window for a while. And I always do this. I sit down and I look out the window. With your coffee? Yeah. And usually there's an animal. One of the animals is with me, the dog or the two cats. And then often my wife will also be up. And so we'll both come down in our morning ritual together as often to sit. And we'll almost always even sometimes like put our chin on the couch and stare out the window, and then the animals all come up with us if we're both there, and they all stare out the window, and we all, like a little pack, stare out the window. And it's the funniest thing, because for years, 
we just did it but didn't talk about it and then i started to realize that when we didn't do it it was like the whole frame of my day was a little bit off what do you think it gives you i mean we're talking about nature i live out in nature but for me when i look out a window i unfocus my eyes i don't hone in on a single thing and I let my unfocused gaze just take in the feeling of the day like is it chaotic or still is it forgiving or is it severe like what's this energy that's in the day out there sometimes I'll see like animals scurrying or sometimes the you know if it's freezing cold like you can't make a lot of mistakes in that weather you know so to kind of see what the environment is and then I'll check in with my internal environment and see how I'm feeling and then my course is the is the path between my inside environment and the outside environment what do you mean your course so like whether I'm gonna try and do a lot or do a little whether I'll just hone in on one thing or stay broad whether I'll be creative or more like business work busy work or whether I'll take meetings and talk to people or all of it's related to those feelings, the schedule, but those feelings, the environment, and then the actual season we're in, the phase of the moon. Anything else you do with the phases of the moon and seasons? Because I remember going to summer solstice or what is it? Winter solstice. Winter solstice with you. We did this whole ritual, holding candles, walking around in circles. Yeah. Still don't know what that was. That was cool. We were walking, so we mapped the Big Dipper on the floor with candles, and then we walked the stars of the Big Dipper by walking around the candles, orbiting them in the dark, in the darkest day of the year. And the goal is that as you turn around the candles in the dark, because you change direction, you start to disorient, and your mind goes into like a trance state, like the whirling dervishes. You know, it's a classic way to go into a shamanic practice. And then you some point expand into the consciousness of the heavens and you start to feel like you're walking around the actual stars of the Big Dipper. And that's a pretty classical kind of shamanic practice. Do you have to believe it or be experienced to actually go into that state? No. So anyone can do it at home? It helps to do it in a group, but once you know how to do it, yeah, you can do it anywhere once you understand it. I mean, I looked up the word intent today. Because I realized I didn't really know the etymology of it. And I was like, what the heck? Like, I use this word all the time. What does it mean? And when you first start to look at the definitions, it's like, oh, it means purpose. And your it actually uses the word in the definition, which is weird. They say, like, your intention. But when I looked at the Latin intentus, it means to stretch out and take aim. And then, like, it says goals or at an end. And this idea that because we perceive time through space, that if you stretch out time over a long amount of space with an aim or a goal or an ending in mind, you can then find your path there. So your intent is the laying of your path out into your life, like your subscriber goal. <laughs> you stretch it out over a year, so you stretch. But I thought it was so beautiful that it was the word stretch because... The process of stretching your body and all the physical practices we do is also that lengthening of the connective tissue, which everybody now knows transmits all this information at the same time. And each physical shape has an outcome. 
like a mental state and an emotional state, a spiritual state that are all activated by each shape. So all of those ideas around the word stretch and time and space and a life kind of came into that one word for me. What's your relationship with time and space? I think we're forced to connect them in our three-dimensional bodies because we don't have the sense to perceive the fourth dimension of time. So I spend most of my choices, so I use the word choice instead of time. I spend most of my choices separating out space from time. Wait, why do you replace time with choice? Because it reminds me that I'm actually changing my intent and using my resources. And if I just say time, it kind of takes the weight out of it and makes it not matter. But if I say I'm making a choice to answer this email instead of taking my son fishing, then I am able to look at it that way instead of saying like I'm spending my time. No, I'm going to try that on. Time is choices. Have you been doing that for a while? Yeah. Yeah, it will change your perspective on what you're doing. For a long time, I completely excluded the word busy from my dictionary. I also excluded I hate or the word hate. Mm. But then I noticed that they creeped back in in the past year. Because <laughs> I'm going through a lot of expansion and trying yeah. a lot of different things. But I think being conscious with our words really shapes our experience. Back to this idea actually ends up coming up pretty much in every episode. What you were saying a few minutes ago about you know goals and planning versus listening to your body and more being in the flow. So what I'm really interested in is that perfect balance or however, I don't even like the word balance, that like perfect middle between strategy and planning and goals and going with the flow and listening to your intuition, both in our personal lives and in our business. What is your take on that? What's the Taoist way? Mm. Mm. It's funny because the sayings go something like this. The path of a sage is a lonely path because it walks away from the ways of humankind. So if you're on a wisdom tradition path, consciousness and understanding path, you run into a paradox at some point where the desire is to just go sit on a mountain and then your life requires you to still be here. And so to settle that paradox, you have to accept the fact that at any given moment in time, there's a complete opposite of what it is that you're doing. Have you ever held your breath mm-hmm. in a practice where you like breathe in and breathe out and then you breathe in and hold your breath mm-hmm. and you feel like so at peace and you could just hold your breath forever. And then at some point your body starts to demand oxygen and create pain or some kind of system to wake you up and say, Hey, breathe in. Like we need to keep going. And you're like, no, this is so good. I want to just stay here in the place in between outside, but you live in a physical body. So it takes you back and says, no, we have to be here. And you go, okay. I'll, I'll come back. And when you come back, you come back with the awareness of the peace of that quiet place outside And it infiltrates your worldview and allows you to find quiet inside the complexity of being here. So if you can bring with you this conscious awareness of the quiet that's always right there, then you can step into the seeming difficulty of a moment where you have to do 
something you might not want to do in that moment and be able to maintain peace in your, in your mind while you're doing it. <laughs> I'm turning my hand back and forth going, eh, because I could say that another way that was maybe better. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you actually do every day? Well, I'm, I'm working on a couple books. I'm running my acupuncture clinic. I'm running the movement studio and building a curriculum to create teachers in Pathfinder, Qigong, Conscious Movement, whatever it ends up being called. And I'm working really hard at a kind of effortless effort. So I'm trying to get out of my own way pretty much all the time right now. Like I was just doing some interviews and I was talking about the things that I do and there were so many words in there. And I was like, oh man, what are you doing? Like, Why are there so many words and everything? And I sort of had the conversation back with myself, like, there are so many words because you don't know how to tell people that every day, all day long, you just walk around in the world and are just here. With some needles in your hand? With just whatever's going on. Like, someone comes in and they're having a nervous breakdown, or their body doesn't work anymore, or they're going to die, or they feel great and they're in transformation, or they want to leave their husband, or they, like, don't know what to do with their life. All of those things things that I'm involved in in the clinic, everything that happens in the movement studio, they're all basically a present response to what's happening in the moment. And that's kind of all I'm doing. And when I say that out loud, it sounds to me like I'm not really doing anything at all. Well, let's break it down. What are the tools that you're using to be with it? The other humans at the table, on the, on the table, in the chair that came into your clinic that they can actually perceive? Well, I'm listening. I'm connected to the field, right? the energy field, the, the Tao is what we call it. I'm allowing for any guides that need to talk to me to talk to me. I'm relying on a ton of clinical information, functional medicine, acupuncture, herbology, physical therapy, movement of any, like all kinds of information. But mostly I'm trying to hear, feel, see, the one thing in that moment that's obstructing the person's path that's in front of me. And when I'm really paying attention, if I just catch that one thing and I can show it to them or show them how to move it out of the way or give them a tool to get it out of the way or to integrate it, that changes everything. And the most common thing people say to me is, oh, the, the one thing you said to me about this has been changing everything for months and months and months, and I can't believe it. I just wanted to thank you. And of course, I'm just a mirror in that moment, reflecting back this simple thing. So that's why I use so many words, because when I think about it, it's the easiest thing in the world. I have a thing like that that you've told me that still guides a lot of my judgments and decisions and everything. Mm -hmm. I can share that thing. Uh -huh. Do you know what that thing is? It's the uh-huh, uh-huh, isn't it? <laughs> no. Which thing is it? It's this idea that somehow I'm the kind of person who needs to dig to the bottom of things until I'm satisfied and I can share it with people. But for me, it's important to remember that it's okay to not know everything for me to share it with the world. It may take me like tens, you know, decades if I just like keep accumulating, accumulating. It might be too late to share it then, so I just need to start sharing 
now. Yeah. Which is what I'm doing with this podcast. Yeah, we used to say in Tai Chi back in like a million years ago, beginning teachers, when we would start off beginning teachers, we would tell them like, you only have to know one move more than the person you're teaching to be of use to them. So this idea that you always have to know everything before you reveal isn't true. But often, if you keep sharing as you're going, you end up building a staircase for people. So they can go back and be like, oh, I can understand what she's saying here at this level, but when I go up two notches, it doesn't make any sense to me. And so that fact that you're you know, having the courage to share what you're doing as you're doing it without knowing everything might end up being the way in which you're able to bring someone along or show them the process. Yeah. Which is cool. Yeah. Forgot about that. So have you always been, you know, you noticed, you, you mentioned spirit guides and being in the energy field. Have you always been an intuitive person and interested in these kind of topics or what was your moment of really, really feeling that there's something more than what we see? Um, it's funny, I was born, I was born, I feel totally awake and aware of all of this stuff, but there was so much kind of traumatic violence in my childhood that it all got turned off. Just all the switches got flipped, like safety and self-defense and security and understanding how to read people all became really important in my early traumatic life. And then I, I basically rejected all things unprovable. And I remember my nickname in Chinese medicine school was why, because I constantly would ask the teacher to basically prove to me why they were saying what they were saying, drove them crazy. And forever I wouldn't do anything I couldn't prove. And I built up a huge amount of information of things I could prove. And then one day, I don't even remember now the context, but I just remember one day, I think I awoke from this dream. I don't remember what it was about. And the phrase, so I used to always say, if it's true, then prove it. And I woke up from this dream saying, something doesn't have to be proven to be true. And as I sat with that phrase, I realized that there were all these things that could potentially be true but haven't been proven yet, and that I've basically been limiting myself from all these, all this information that I just wouldn't let myself see. And I began the kind of slow turn away <laughs> from having to have everything reined in and provable in this very rigid way of proof that the scientific method had provided us. And I began to look for other kinds of proofs, other kinds of ways for things to be true. And that's when I really started to trust the instrument of myself again and listen to how things resonated as they came through me and then realized, like, okay, this is true. And not have to look outside of myself to see if it was true, which is what proof in the scientific way is often giving us this outside authority. And what I realized was that self-trust, which is really the natural outcropping of self-acceptance, is available to me. And in that moment, I was like, ah, oh, I can trust myself because I believe me. And 
and I believe me because I accept me. And if I accept me, that means I know me. And if I know me, then I can tell what's real and what isn't. Wow, that's profound. That resonates so much, the trust piece. During my meditation yesterday, that's exactly what I got. I got this whole light download and a vision, and the experience was trust. The guidance was trust. And as you said, the word self-trust, that's when it's really, really cooked in. Today, I was kind of feeling funky. Yesterday, this email came through in my inbox with an offer to attend this event and get paid a pretty good amount of money just for one hour of being there. And I went back to them and I said, hey, my rate is actually higher. Can you meet me in the middle? And they never got back to me. And, and then I kept emailing them. And I was like, well, this is happening tomorrow. I need to know. Tell me. And they ended up telling me that someone else grabbed it really quickly. And I kept going back and forth with myself of, of this could have been such easy money. Why didn't I just agree? And then my boyfriend, Eric, asked me, you know, what is your rate? And I said, it's this. It's like almost double what they offered. And that's when it really clicked in that it did feel good for me to say no. Because it is below my rate. And saying yes would come from a place of fear because it wasn't even, it was probably like 90% aligned. It was aligned, but it wasn't like something that got me super excited. So that idea of just trusting that whatever happens and whatever decisions we're making, for me in my entrepreneurial journey, probably is the biggest lesson mm. ever. And I just realized that. Yeah, we have this phrase, table scraps. A lot of people, and I spent a lot of my life this way, confusing gratitude with table scraps. So if I could just have whatever was there and get to do my thing, I thought I was lucky, as opposed to valuing what it is I have to deliver at the level that it's at and offering it to the world in this way and saying this is what it's worth. And when you do that, the world can reflect back to you either no or yes. And if enough of the world resonates with you, then they're there. But if you keep undercutting it, then because you're like, oh, I don't want to, if I lose this one, maybe I'll lose another one. Maybe I'll get more exposure if I'm there. Like all these stories that go through our heads immediately undermine the value of you. Because it's you. That's like, you are your brand. Like as much as I hate saying you are your brand because it sounds so whatever, it's true. It sounds not ancient or not Taoist. It just, I, f I feel like it's often, I feel like there's like a gazillion brands, right? And the meaning of a brand and the meaning of you and all the different things has gotten kind of confusing out there. So to say you are the most authentic expression of yourself and you in particular, like the product really is you. It's like, oh, this is me out in the world looking at it. Come look at it through my eyes. Come hear it through my ears. Like that's your job while taking really good pictures and all that stuff and being on top of it. But that's it. Like this is the frequency of my vessel. This is the sound of my instrument. Come listen. That's what I do too. This is the frequency of my instrument. Like I tell people all the time when I put acupuncture needles in them, all I'm doing is realigning their body to its natural frequency. Like the way a conductor would talk to the strings and the horns and the bass drums until they found this harmonious frequency of the moment. That's it. Easy. <laughs> so that's acupuncture, kind of a very basic introduction, what that is. What about Qigong? 
you know, there's still a lot of mystery, I think, associated with it. It's not yet as common uh, as yoga or meditation or acupuncture. So what is it about it, first of all, that got you into it so deeply? I mean, it really goes back to my not safe environment as a child that attracted me to martial arts. So right place, right time. I was in Boulder, Colorado, and I started training in martial arts with this Navy SEAL who was also a healer, body worker, savant, trauma survivor, who was in his own process. And he really used our group as a laboratory for healing, understanding violence, understanding conflict, um, masculinity, what that meant, all those things. So anyway, I meet Peter, I start training with him, I have my first experience getting body work where my body goes through this somatic process where it just starts moving uncontrollably through these waves and freaking out and basically expressing energy and memory and trauma altogether. And fortunately, Peter knew exactly what to do and he did this really beautiful thing where he put a really heavy wool blanket on me and rolled me on my side and gave me like a pillow to hold and put his hand on my back. And then I just started crying and crying and crying. So I started to feel the power of what I now call our somatic processor. And I started to feel the nature of energy in our bodies and how our spirit and energy body fill up our physical body and then walk around with it, like the way you get into a car and drive it. And so I kept studying Chinese martial arts and Chinese movement. I next went and trained with a five-animal kung fu teacher, and we did all of our martial arts all in the like animal practice. So we would fight in different animals, whether you were monkey or crane or tiger, and you had to make the sounds of the animal and move like it and act like it and assume its identity, which at the time I didn't realize was a shamanic practice, but it's a classic shamanic practice. And so I kept going through these different iterations. I came to Tai Chi, which was a much softer art, and I began to like experience the water energy of movement. And then I trained with my medicine teacher and I learned the bone setting and like fast tendon and fascia movement and what it meant to hold structure for a long time. And anyway, each one of these practices revealed a piece of this big puzzle of what it is to move consciously and feel the energy of your life force in your body and then to feel it in other people and things. And so Qigong was the last teacher I came to about 10 years ago, who's been my teacher for the past 10 years, I've been studying all the traditional shamanic Taoist Qigong practices. And all of that work for me, I was so ripe and ready to receive it that it just completely opened all of these doors for me and all this understanding for me. And it put together a lot of the missing pieces in Chinese medicine that hadn't been shown to me about the I Ching and the moon and Tao Te Ching and all of these pieces that should be in the medicine that aren't, at least sometimes they are. And so I started teaching Qigong after about five years with him and learned pretty quickly that most people can't really get the benefit of Qigong from the more complicated practices. And they're missing, so to go all the way back to the beginning, they're missing the intent of the movement. 
So I started trying to break down what does it mean to practice Qigong? And I guess we get all the way back to your question. So to practice Qigong is to unblock your body so that you can experience the full gravitational pull of the earth and the full gravitational pull of the sun in your body. And when you can do that, you can feel the force of this rising energy and this descending energy that everyone talks about. You can feel it in your body and you can feel the way it moves your spirit and you can feel the way it changes you. And once you can feel the descending and the rising, then you can start to feel all the other planets and all the other stars and the galaxy and the solar system and everything else. But you start by feeling the drawing up energy of the sun and this deep descending power of the earth. And when I talk about the frequency that we all resonate at, your frequency is at any given moment, the constitution of your body and of your emotional state and your mental state and your psychological state and your spiritual state will resonate at a certain frequency that's aligned. And that alignment is your alignment between heaven and earth in that moment. And if you're in that, then every decision's easy, every question's obvious, everything's clear. I remember having an experience like that after spending a weekend doing Qigong and yoga with you and Kevin. I remember I had definitely a very hard time with it, especially with the Qigong part. Because it just, to me, it takes so much patience. The movements can be so slow and so repetitive and sometimes awkward and uncomfortable. So in the moment, I'm just like, can I just go home early? But then I stayed the whole weekend. And I remember on Monday, back then I had a full-time job around the corner here on 56th Street. I just left the office to get my lunch. And I was walking down the street, same street, same weather, same everything. But I was walking down the street and I just felt like in such awe and such wonder. And I had this sensation that got translated by my brain by, you have arrived, you have arrived, you're here. <laughs> and then I kept walking and I saw this huge sign on the street that said, you've arrived. And I nice. never noticed that before. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, what is going on? Yeah. So is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I mean, that's the holographic universe, but that's what shows up when you're in when you're in that aligned resonance, which is another form of stillness and mindfulness, everything becomes clear. And then, yeah, you see, you start to see all the connections, all the relationships, all the unfolding. Like I was talking to Kevin about it today. Like we often talk about the, you know, the Mandelbrot set of the, these two words, fulcrum and chakra keep coming up in my head, but it's neither of them. It's this other word that's in the middle. Fractal. Mm. <laughs> so it's a, it's fractals that repeat over and over again. And if you look at the image of the fractal and you zoom in on it far enough, at some point it becomes the big fractal again and it keeps going like that. And the Mandelbrot set is a particular mathematical set that's specific. And we often talk about how that keeps happening. Like we look at the yin-yang diagram and if you were to go deep enough into the yin-yang diagram, you'd eventually pop up into another one again. But Kevin and I were talking today about this thing, like you saw this sign, arrived. Once you start living that way, the whole world is like a holographic fractal. So it's like, like you know the movie Inception? Mm -hmm. Where the like world's like folding up and folding sideways. They do it in Doctor Strange, too. Mm -hmm. That kind of like four-dimensional or three-dimensional unfolding of reality in all directions, it starts to feel like that. 
So does it actually give you benefit in terms of how you live this human life in this human body in this dimension, being a business person in this world? Yeah. Tell me more. So I know who I am and I know what matters to me. So I can't be fooled by other things most of the time anywhere. The whole goal of chasing something to get somewhere, I know that's not real. Even though I know that our nature is to move from A to B, from beginning to ending, that our life is a story arc, but because I know that it's not really real, I'm able to be in the question all the time of, am I in my purpose? Am I in my truth? Am I in my purpose? Am I in my truth? And anytime I'm not, I have this option to change. And to study Qigong is to study change. The I Ching is called the Book of Change. And all it is is the study of change by watching the movement of the moon and the sun over a year. You see the change of everything. And that change of everything represents the change of all things over all time. Because they tend to change the same way. They move until they accumulate as big as they possibly can. And then they go the other way. And they just keep doing that over and over again. They inhale and they exhale. They inhale and they exhale. So for me, at any moment, if my, okay, like I recently was told that I could die at any moment from this heart condition and that I probably won't and I'll probably have to have surgery at some point, but they said like, don't lift anything too heavy. And off I went to like a sweat lodge in Mexico. <laughs> and I was like, huh, I wonder if this is one of those things. And so I was I met with all the cardiologists and everything, and after everything, they were like, we just don't have that much data, and we really don't know, except that it's too risky to do surgery, and probably you'll be okay, but don't lift anything too heavy. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And I left, and for a moment, I was like terrified and depressed. And then I started to review my whole life. And when I reviewed my whole life, I was like, hell, yes, I'm already doing it. If I were to die tomorrow, What have I done while I was here? Well, I've made thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of people's lives better. That's what I did. Cool. And that moment of clarity was the same. Like, I can't control whatever's going on. I can do all the stuff I'm supposed to do for my heart. But at the end of the day, like, that's out of my control. And on the one hand, was it a Western doctor who told you that? Like four of them, yeah. Okay. Did you go for like an alternative shamanic healer perspective kind of a thing? I went to a sweat lodge. Okay, what'd you get there? I got that it was my duty to be strong enough to be an ending to the line of the pain and the fear connected to the masculine energy in my family lineage and to pass on to my two young boys another way of living that would be different. And I prayed to grandmother and grandfather for the strength and the courage and the will to do that and to heal my heart because wow. every man in my generation has had this heart condition mm -hmm. and they've all dropped dead from it. I should bring you a heart ball next time. Forget that it's from men too. Are we going to be doing Sweat Lodge next week? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I've never done it. Oh yeah. They do a traditional Lakota Inipi. Can you explain more about Sweat Lodge and what I need to know to prepare? Wow. So good. <laughs> So the Lakota people, they're like the Taoists of the West. When they make a sweat lodge, 
they go and they find these river rocks that don't crack when they're heated so that they can take a lot of heat without breaking when water's poured on them, which is really important. Mm. <laughs> and it's a really huge community event where you, it isn't in this case, it's just our community. But they build a big fire and they heat these rocks all day with the fire, slowly warming them up. And the way the lodge is built, the fire represents the sun. And then the lodge is built, you know, about 50 feet away from the fire. And that represents the earth. And it's made of sticks, either hide or cloth. And then there's a mound of dirt that makes the altar. And it's in front of the door of the round lodge. And that represents the moon. And when you enter the lodge, you first walk all the way around the sun like you're orbiting the sun. And when you come to where the moon is, you go behind the moon, between the moon and the earth in an eclipse, and then you enter that way. So that you literally like step out of the force of the sun and enter into the lodge. And then in the darkness of the eclipse is where transformation happens. And then, and this is so Taoist, then they take the rocks one by one from the sun and bring it into the center of the earth because they put it in the middle of the lodge and then they pour water on it which immediately transforms which is the symbol in Chinese medicine and Taoism of transformation that you draw the sun down under the ocean in the earth and then it turns to steam and transforms so you literally do this process with the anipi does it feel like a Russian bath? it feels so hot it's hard to breathe how long are you staying there? You do f- three or four rounds, and it's they're like 10 to 15 minutes. So there's a prayer for the earth, the animals, humans, and the spirit. I think that's the order they do it in. So I did my prayer at the spirit level to reach back through all the men who'd come before me in my lineage and all the pain that they carried in their hearts. So did you go in with an intention? Is that how it works? I did, yeah. Sometimes it comes to you, but I went in with mine because I'd already had this massive experience and I decided then and there. So I actually kind of screamed my prayer and then again burst into tears and snot and eventually like fell down. And what was the internal experience? Is it visions that you get? Is it body sensations? What's funny, you start at sunset and there's a certain amount of light that comes into the lodge a little bit. And then you end in darkness, the fire gone out, and you emerge. So the process goes very much into a trance kind of state, and they're singing, and it's a profound experience. Every time I've done it, it's been mind-blowing. What do you think happens on a physical level? Because I've done baths and saunas a lot of times as someone who comes from Russia, and I'm assuming that it's the intention of the sacred space that's created that somehow creates completely different results on levels beyond physical, right? Yeah, I mean, first of all, you're crammed in like elbow to elbow. There's no room. You're squished in. Purposefully? I think, yeah, like you're all, the community is one inside this thing. And then you're, they're singing and chanting and song is like creating frequency that open the container and connect to the universe and connect to the subtle energies and work the subtle body, all that's going on. And then people are releasing all of the 
obstructions that they have in that moment and becoming like a free vessel of light. So the group practice is really powerful. And we know through studies now that the, when you practice these kinds of things together, the electromagnetic field of your heart joins with everybody else's and makes this much bigger electromagnetic field. So there's a real transformation that's happening on multiple layers. And then you go into the dark. So it's like you release into, it feels like birth, like you emerge from this sweaty mess into cool night air and nature is, you know, all around, like letting itself be known. It's quite, it's quite amazing. So excited. So I want to go back to business and entrepreneurship mm. because, you know, the one side of this conversation is all the spiritual practices and ancient wisdom, and that's all wonderful. And like you said, you can't just go sit on the mountaintop. So, and I know you've been going personally through a lot of transformation and expansion in terms of your business and how you're framing it and how you're presenting it. And how are you creating this huge global impact using the tools you've been given? So talk to me about how you actually took that ancient wisdom and brought it out, made it a business and Particularly what I'm interested in is I noticed personally that my personal energetic and spiritual state always directly impacts my business and whoever's working with me. So that relationship is what I want to hear your perspective on too. Mm. I mean, the way I'm expanding or changing and making these things more accessible is that I've... So my passion is teaching people to be free and trusting themselves so that they can discover their true path. Simple. And so class has become, every class we sit and meditate, and while we're meditating, the, so when we're in Qigong class, Wednesday mornings at the Pathfinder Institute. Downtown New York. 28 Warren Street, third floor. So the class will sit and meditate at the beginning, and then an arc of information will come through. And what will happen is I'll start to talk about one specific thing, like the way that your hips move the way that the hip socket moves or the way that we breathe or whatever it is. And eventually the practice will evolve into a kind of movement. And it's gotten now to the point where our regular class, the movements are really simple. We'll do one or two movements often. We don't learn whole forms most of the time anymore. It's very much about principles and they're all like neurosomatic energetic principles. So maybe we'll talk about boundaries and what's a boundary. And we'll use the term pung, which means fullness. And in Tai Chi, the concept of pung shows up all the time. And it's basically the same thing as the surface of a filled up balloon. So there's no place that doesn't have energy in, the, in a balloon when it's full of air. But if you press on any one spot, the force is transferred throughout all of it. And it'll receive a certain amount of force and eventually spring back. And that kind of boundary is a very general fullness boundary. So that's your energetic circumference and understanding where that is. And then how to make it physically. So we'll do a shape that doesn't have any right angles in it, like ward off in Tai Chi. And we'll hold the shape and we'll look for the feeling of fullness in our own. So if we get to the business part. Yeah. What, you mentioned Tai Chi a couple of times. So can you explain to us the difference between Qigong and Tai Chi? Qigong. Gong means cultivate. Qi is your life force or energy. It means many things. Tai Chi is not Tai Chi. It's Tai Ji. 
and it means extreme limit. It's not qi, the word like qigong. So energy cultivation, which is qigong, is about cultivating your energy and your physical, spiritual consciousness. Tai Chi is about exploring the relationship between light and the dark, yin and yang, positive, negative, male, female, etc. The extreme limit, the extreme edge of growth, and playing back and forth with it, like inhaling as deeply as you can and holding your breath as long as you can and exhaling as long as you can and holding your breath as long as you can. So on one level, it's about that, but it's a martial art. Mm. So Qigong technically doesn't mean martial arts. It means Qi cultivation. However, almost every Chinese internal martial art and most other Chinese martial arts have Qigong in them. So Tai Chi is a form of Qigong even though it's also a martial art. So any practice where you align yourself between heaven and earth and focus the intent and the breath and the body is a form of qigong. Then there's neigong, which is inner cultivation, and that's the internal alchemy practices, which is a deeper layer of transformation. That's like the tantra of qigong. So Tantra would be Neigong or internal alchemy to Qigong being like yoga. What exactly do you mean when you say internal alchemy? I mean the transformation and transmutation of your karmic spiritual obstructions that are keeping you from manifesting your eternal light body. I'll take that. I'll take two of those to go. So how do all these practices, how can they impact an entrepreneur? And what has your personal experience been with that? So I've worked with a bunch of executive teams and entrepreneurs, and like all human beings, they struggle with the same kinds of problems. But let's take just entrepreneurs to start. So your standard entrepreneur wears about 10 hats. Your standard entrepreneur wears about 10 hats. They work 20 million hours a day, and there's a point where in their growth of their company, they have to basically, I'll say it this way, give too much, or they have to give so much to get past this kind of escape velocity, right? This point at which you leave the, the pull of gravity and are able to explore space. So that happens. It's natural. But after that, they often keep acting like that's still going on when it isn't. And that's because they've had to do it for so long, they haven't realized that everything's changed because they're caught in the idea that they have to do everything. And it's usually at that point that they have to start delegating and building infrastructure. And they go from being like the inception idea and vision of a CEO to having to shift into becoming a COO. And most people know that CEOs rarely make good COOs. Right, that like process is a totally different kind of mind. So the, the escape from continuing to trudge on in this like fifteen hour day and instead start to delegate and grow is a huge it's a huge trip up for entrepreneurs. And this practice is all about releasing yourself from the mental constructs that you walk around with and seeing yourself in the moment for who you are. And then because you can see yourself clearly, then seeing the world clearly. So if you clean the mirror of your consciousness, 
when you see the world reflected in it, your vision is clear and you're like, oh, I can't keep doing it this way. I need to bring in someone who's going to handle operations at this other level because the company needs a vision after next year or after five years from now. And that's what I do as the entrepreneur. So that's just one example of like a process. Another is that you may have to be still in the 15 hour day, 18 hour day, 10 hat part of the game. And if you're doing that, you have to manage your energy efficiently and know how to restore it quickly and know how to release tension quickly and realign yourself quickly. And Qigong teaches you how to do all those things in short periods of time. And lastly, if you're going to live in that level of stress, you have to know where your limits are and you have to know when you're stressed and how you're stressed and how it's affecting you. And by teaching people to be aware sooner and by teaching people to be aware of themselves, they see the signs of stress much earlier. And if you see them when they're just happening, you can convert them like that. If you get a phone call from someone, like the phone call you got, where you told them like, oh, this is my actual rate, meet me in the middle, and then they didn't call you back, the first time they didn't call you back or didn't email you back, millennials, didn't text you back, whatever, <laughs> stop talking about yeah. it. If you were to recognize that you were in a moment of conflict and do 10 squats and five deep breaths and drink like 10 ounces of water, you would take all the function of the epinephrine, norepinephrine, and millions of other chemicals coursing through your body, the muscle structures through the squats that need to move because they've just been told to move, and the water and breath for detoxing and harmonizing your pH levels in your autonomic nervous system, your body will recover right away, right away, and you go back to whatever you're doing. But instead, the muscles get some biological waste because they don't move even though they're trying to move, so they contract but can't go anywhere. And the breath goes more shallow and is less effective at detoxing and normalizing your nervous system. And you haven't drank any fluids, so you're dehydrated and can't urinate out whatever toxins are in your body. Okay, squats, breaths, and water. Yeah. Gotta try that. Three, three, and three. I can't tell you how many midtown businessmen literally step out of a meeting, walk up one flight of stairs and back down, and take a couple sips of water and go into the bathroom and do ten squats and come back out. Because they know. It's the same thing with meditation. Like people work in Midtown. I was like, listen, you want to meditate? There are hundreds of churches in Manhattan that are open all day long that are like these high-powered antennas for meditation that you can just go in and sit down in a pew on your lunch break for 20 minutes. And it's like triple jacking your meditation because you just step into the vortex and meditate. You don't worry about any of the crap that goes with the politics. The building itself they're structurally designed to resonate. And then people have been meditating in them for a couple hundred years often. Wow, I love those hacks. Yeah, people use that one all the time. They go out and meditate in churches. They're like, whoa, I've been like hitting the church. And I'm like, yeah, dude. They're incredible. And these churches, like the Midtown churches, are incredible. And nobody's in them. They're empty. Just wait and see until everyone gets their rows of meditators every lunchtime. So good. Okay, so we got to wrap up, yeah. and what I want to ask you is, first of all, with all the things you are doing, you know, leading retreats and co-leading retreats with Taryn Toomey and with Topaz in Mexico, and you're teaching people every single Wednesday, and you're taking patients, and you're moving in your personal life, so 
out of all the things, what's making you feel most woke? Most awoke. Woke. Most woke. As in most... Are you going to ask me what's making me feel most wired now? <laughs> Moving was so profound for me because it was like a 14-year-old course correction. And the second I did it, everything started resonating with my family in a different way. Where did you move from and to? I moved from Pennsylvania to Katona, New York, into this beautiful little tiny 200-year-old farmhouse that feels like creativity in a house. It's just, it's gorgeous. And I've just met so many nice people already, and I've spent so much time out in the woods and fishing in a lake, and been all over the place, and I've only been there for five days. Oh, wow. Yeah, just moved last Monday. So that was huge. Sold my house and moved on the same day. And my wife and I, I feel like are, yeah, realigning in this way that's just going to be beautiful. Mm. And the kids also, I think. I feel like for everyone, it's something we've been needing for a long time and haven't been able to do. So huge transformation. So for anyone listening to this who's thinking, I want some of whatever he's talking about, which is what I think and feel every time I talk to you. Mm. What's their best way of connecting to either Qigong or your work personally? What do you have coming up? Well, you can go to thomasdroge.com or pathfinderinstitute.org and see what's up. They're class every Wednesday morning from 9.30 to 11 with our beautiful community. If you're in New York. If you're in New York. There's the Awaken Retreat, which is the first ever Pathfinder Retreat at Racebrook Lodge in the Berkshires in October. And that's going to be an exploration into feeling the power of nature in that extremely beautiful physical environment and doing practices that are really going to bring that out, along with some lecture that's going to fill in the infrastructure so that your intent can be clear in the practice. That's going to give everyone like a level one understanding of how to use these tools. And there's going to be a bunch of Sunday workshops coming up in the fall on consciousness, emotions, anxiety, memoir writing. There's all kinds of stuff coming up at the Institute. We're trying to really expand the programming to we're creating our first round of teachers so that we'll have more classes and allow for different frequencies of teachers because every teacher is really just their own frequency within this work. So Annie Piper and some other people are going to be teaching there soon. And January, we're going to Rincon with Annie and I to teach yoga and surf and do Qigong. And then Jessica, Alan, and I are going to Morocco in March and taking a group there for a songline retreat. For what retreat? Songline. What's that? That's a indigenous technique that they use in Australia and New Zealand where you the tribe carries a, an ongoing song that tells the story of the tribe, but it also tells the place of the tribe. And so if you know all the song lines of the tribes, you could walk and navigate the terrain of like the outback through the song. And our goal is to go to Morocco and for everyone to write or sing or move or whatever their medium is and discover their own song line of their life up till now. So it's, it's a kind of storytelling, but it's very much about creating something that is your life story up till that moment. And we're doing Qigong and yoga and going out into the desert on camels. And that sounds amazing. It's going to be off the hook. That's March 9th, I think, next year. Is there anything else that you want to share that I haven't asked you about? Yeah, there is. I want to say don't wait and don't worry. 
And what I mean by that is don't put off looking for any kind of practice that resonates with you, that gives you freedom and helps you to unobstruct your life and find your way. And don't wait to move through and let go of things that are holding you back. And don't worry about getting it right or being finished or being done or locking it all up and sealing it up and getting it all packed away. Just jump in. Don't wait. Don't worry. Everything's going to be amazing. Thomas, you should have your own daily podcast where you do five-minute speech like that. Okay, I'm now going to do that. <laughs> thank you so Starting much. Starting tomorrow. <laughs> I want to say thank you, Senia, to you for showing up and sharing your work and having you on your podcast. But also just, I love getting to see you as you transform and shift in your life. And I think it's amazing to see how much you've done and all the different ways in which you've changed. And as an outsider, it's kind of awesome to watch. So I want you to be an insider. I am an insider <laughs> outsider. Thank you, Thomas. I'm so excited that for my 30th birthday, this is going to air after, but sneak peek, we're going to Mexico to celebrate my 30th on a retreat where Thomas is teaching Qigong. I'm sure I'll share with you guys a lot more about that experience, either during or after. So stay connected with me on Instagram at Woke and Wired. I'll be sharing all the updates there, probably some selfies with Thomas and Instagram stories. Nacho Armani and oh, yeah. Donnie Epstein and Topaz Adizas. And amazing people. Kiko and Kike and all these amazing people. Stay tuned. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your friends, leave a review, and find all the show notes on wokeandwired.com. And connect with me on Instagram at Woke and Wired. Stay woke, stay wired, and have an incredible day.